Welcome to One Health Wednesdays. This podcast aims to promote the principles of One Health and encourage professional development. Here's your host, Ginger Dixon. Hi, everyone. Welcome to One Health Wednesdays, a collaboration between LabOp Global and One Life Epi Solutions. I'm Ginger Dixon, and I'd like to introduce our guest today, Sabine Lulea. And Sabine, welcome to the show. Hi, everyone. Thank you, Ginger. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, excited to have you. So you are a marine biologist, and I have to say marine biology is one of my favorite subjects. So we're really excited to have you on and talking about you know, your background and your work in One Health and, and uh, yeah, I'd love to hear more. Awesome. I'm also excited um, to be here. So um, you wanted to start with the background, right? Yeah, yeah, we'd love to hear about um, your background and then uh, how you got to this point and then feel free to explore any um, topics along the way. All right, thank you. Okay, so I was born in Romania, uh, in Transylvania. So um, then some years later, we moved to Catalonia, Spain. Uh, That was next to the Mediterranean Sea. That was quite a life change for me. Uh, Well, I was very young, but uh, we used to go once there. We used to go to the beach pretty much every week, uh, every weekend. And um, I wanted to talk about about this because uh, then I started to my contact with the sea, uh, you know, and uh, uh, because it was calling me to explore what what was well and what it still is magical about it. Um, because uh, my family, I mean, and everyone I know, uh, always feel great at the beach. So moving forward some years when I got to college, I, I've met a, a colleague, now a friend of mine, that introduced me to spearfishing. For those who don't know, spearfishing is like hunting uh, underwater. Well, you go underwater swimming, but uh, you eventually have to go down a couple of meters or maybe 10 or 15 meters holding your breath with a harpoon. and. Uh, getting yourself um, through uh, in the water uh, like without any gravity so I started doing that that was awesome Uh, it was scary at the beginning but um, I mean we didn't find much fish because the Mediterranean is overfished but uh, it was it was really cool Uh, at college I I studied uh, biology so uh, I was with the years I was seeing that what I was studying in class, I was uh, seeing in, in the sea and yeah, nature. And I was starting to meet our neighbors. You know, I started to get to know all the fish. I started to know all the, all the plants in the water, all the seaweed, all the urchins, all the clams. Um, well, not all of them, but, you know, uh, I started to realize that they are there and uh, that everyone has a function. So that was that was really cool. I 
I was uh, experiencing, I was exploring Costa Brava and experimenting it as I haven't done before. And um, then um, during my bachelor's, uh, I, I started an internship. I did an internship at um, a known uh, investigation center of Spain that um, I was lucky enough to work on three different projects with seaweeds. And that's where I, where I started to get more curious about it because as I will talk more about it, you will realize that I'm here to talk about seaweeds. Like it's my passion, but uh, how it all began. Well, in, in this research center, they were, um, investigating the, um, how temperature affects uh, certain species of seaweed. Like they would uh, put uh, individuals from, from different parts of, of the Mediterranean Sea that are different. Some of them are larger, some of them are more beautiful with larger branches and some of them are smaller stout. And uh, they, got them in well we got them in in uh, fish tanks and we control the water temperature of those fish tanks to simulate well with seawater of course to simulate that they were in the sea and not just that but we also simulated once we saw that the individuals were stable in our aquariums we simulated that the um, the temperature was increasing you know, and we simulated uh, real uh, possibilities, like scenarios. And uh, it was really interesting to see how from a certain temperature level, uh, these individuals were starting to die, like uh, um, at 26 degrees Celsius, I'm sorry for the Fahrenheit trans uh, translation. Uh, well, translation. Um, you know conversion oh yeah and, oh, no, um, you're just fine <laughs> thank you and um like two degrees or or one degree more than what's usually during summer could uh, mean the death of um, those individuals you know so that was uh, very interesting for me to see because um they stress until they die <laughs> that's that's uh, one way to put it and then we also studied uh, the diet of the urchin which loves to feed on uh, seaweed that was very interesting because we had well i had to collect uh, over 100 uh, sea urchins uh, manually uh, with a small knife and uh, try not to get um, hurt in the process so we also did a similar uh, experiment with um, cages like uh, tanks and uh, we got um, like a mesh with different species of seaweed attached to the mat and uh, to the mesh i'm sorry and um, we left the i mean we waited the the seaweeds and then we we got the seaweeds in there so and we were checking the weight of the seaweeds every day and saw 
which ones the urchins were preferring. Like it was like a buffet for an urchin, and that was <laughs> very interesting. Right. <laughs> yeah. So and then uh, we also monitored the population. We were checking on a population that was uh, endangered and was quite rare um, on the coast and uh, how this reproduced. So we checked, uh, we tried to grab the spores of the seaweeds and uh, try to close the circle, grow them in the lab so we can get them, um, uh, grow them on a rock. And once the rock has like a mat of uh, juveniles, you get that rock and transplant it. I mean, plant it, uh, you glue it to, to the natural habitat and have um, tried to recover this natural local population. So that was really cool. That made me realize that, hey, seaweeds are, are here. They have a function. They, they have a place in the, and a role in the ecosystem. And um, if if these uh, cool guys are uh, researching it, there must be something about these uh, these organisms. And then then uh, I started uh, the course of uh, marine botany, uh, and that's where I met all these superheroes because. Um, seaweeds are in a, I mean, seaweeds are algae, just the larger algae, because the, um, you have also the microalgae that can, uh, we can include the phytoplankton. Uh, I mean, this might sound Chinese to most of the listeners, but uh, it's like the small or microscopic um, organisms that are in the sea and why I'm talking about them uh, because I want to show you in, an, in a small, in a little experiment, the importance of algae. And uh, if, uh, if Ginger, if you follow me through this experiment, uh, I will ask you to do two breaths to take, uh, I mean, yeah, uh, inhale and then exhale and then inhale again and then exhale and uh, that, that was the exercise uh, all this to say that um, algae are responsible for your second uh, respiration hmm. uh, that's that's, that's the amount yeah that's the amount of uh, oxygen uh, these guys are putting in the atmosphere so uh, they are uh, as important as some, I mean, as the forests of our planet, you know, and um, the, um, the, the, the ocean is very, is very vast. And um, it's quite cool because uh, when we go back to, to seaweeds, everyone has like a property, like a special superpower. And uh, in in class we were learning about them and i can give you some examples on why they are so important i mean the the large one the how do you call them the um, seaweed <laughs> yeah yeah and i i love that you're talking about this because i think with uh 
you know, with the ocean and with marine life, it's so easy to overlook how important they are to, to human life and terrestrial life as well. So very cool. Please go on. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Like, um, you see that you have something uh, at the beach, but you don't realize what it is or what, uh, what it can really do. Or if you take one liter of seawater, what's really in there when you look at the under the microscope. And that's really fascinating. Uh, and let me tell you about some of the, um, of the things, of the materials you can get out of the, uh, of the seaweed, of the applications you can do with them. So uh, some species have phycocolloids. Uh, you will say, wait, what's that? Uh, I don't know if you've heard about agar-agar. Uh, agar is that similar to what's used in a in a petri dish when you're exactly. working in microbiology? Okay, all right, I'm tracking. Do you, do you know Do you know where it comes from? Uh, I'm gonna take a guess that it's from seaweed. Is it? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, there um, there is a huge market for agar agar because um, you uh, we could say that it's quite difficult to cultivate uh, the specific seaweed that you need uh, to take this uh, compound from. And uh, as you said, agar-agar is, is used in microbiology, uh, but it's um, like to uh, define it, it's like a, the vegetarian substitute of, um, of gelatin. And it can be found in, in everywhere, like in toothpastes or food as as a, as a thicken, uh, thickener or a, stab, a stabilizer. Like in uh, in pharmacy, they use they also use it uh, to put it in the pills uh, of their drugs. Also, uh, as you said, um, in microbiology, agar agar is is the widely used media. Uh, so not only that, but um, agar is also present in the agarose gel of the agar of the famous agarose gel electrophoresis, uh, with which is a widely used DNA technique. So we could say that um, this compound, only this one. Uh, has a huge implication uh, on on the research. Uh, um, uh, we, I mean, everyone is doing with microbiology or biotechnology, um, and all these other applications that it has in food. And not only that, but I have uh, more things on the list. So. Um, it's uh as I said um as I told you before we started the podcast is um it can be used as a nutritional supplement uh, also as a fertilizer because it has great properties as a natural fertilizer and some companies are using their compounds as a natural cosmetic um, not only that but like some some uh, algae like the microalgae that can be uh, grown with just light and CO2. I mean, 
you need to have like a cultivation uh, process like it's very strict but once you um, get the hang on how to do it um, you can start uh, doing like making uh, some some companies are doing like uh, uh, plastic substitutes like you can do flip-flops or shoes that instead of using uh, plastic uh, for the sole they use a compound made of um, made of um, seaweed and then oh i mean of uh, of um, algae and then also like you know, when you go to the supermarket and you see all, all these fruits and vegetables wrapped in plastic there are also um, uh, coming out uh, many alternative uh, algae based uh, packaging that can reduce all this um, amount of plastic that we uh, somehow get in the in the ocean that's interesting it, it sounds like it's you know kelp is i'm sorry kelp and seaweed um are not only part of that example of you know these one health relationships but also a solution that we can use to improve environmental health if we if we protect the species definitely well very interesting thank you um so going back to my background um i am uh, after marine botany um i went to do a summer course in france in roscoff which is near normandy in the northwest uh, side of france and that was that was incredible for me because in the mediterranean we were used well we are used to 20 centimeters uh, of of tide the tide is uh, the tide difference can be up to 20 centimeters so you barely notice it uh, you say um well what's even that in the mediterranean you know and uh, when you go out of the mediterranean you start re uh, to realize that uh, it is a thing <laughs> and uh, in france uh, the where i went to do this uh, marine plant taxonomy course um the tide difference was of 11 meters mm, wow so yeah that that was that was huge when you were at low tide in in the field in the intertidal zone uh, when the tide was going up you had to uh, you had to run to get out of uh, of the uh, of the place before it would get you all wet because um the tide was going up so fast but um there i i saw that uh, seaweeds are way cooler than i thought they would be because as in the mediterranean uh the um, the largest seaweed i was used to was like also again the same number 20 centimeters or so in in france uh i got to see seaweeds that were almost five meters long <laughs> and there were all sorts of shapes and uh, forms and that was uh, that was amazing like it was art i was i felt like a kid in a candy store um <laughs> 
And uh, it was very interesting to find out all the applications all these species have because they're in France, um, the, as the waters are colder, all these large species grow uh, usually in cold waters. In warmer waters, like tropical waters, you get the corals, but in cold waters, you have the, the kelps and, and other large seaweeds. So there, um, it's also like art. Uh, I don't know if you've heard about thalassotherapy, which is a therapy that they do with, uh, with the sea to improve uh, the anemic state of humans as um, it's, it's proven scientifically that it works. That's so, interesting. Yeah, that's, uh, that's also something related to one health right there. <laughs> and um, what I wanted to, to finish saying with the Roscoff experience is that there I learned that in this intertidal zone, all the different species had their own uh, their own place in the intertidal. Like you had the upper intertidal, the middle intertidal, and the lower inter intertidal. And then uh, each species had its zone where uh, they resisted uh, out of the water during low tide uh, for a for a certain amount of time. Like they resisted more um than the ones that are below them because uh the water takes more to get to them and um and cool them also like that's that's something that uh, i was uh, uh awed by because just by knowing the um, just by seeing one species you know you can know where you are in the intertidal zone because mm -hmm. um, when you study them you know that these species can survive x time without uh, without water and that, that was really cool then <laughs> uh, uh, going fast forward when i got back i had to retake marine uh, botany because uh, i failed it last year and the funny thing is that the marine botany teacher uh, ended up being my supervisor. Uh, so uh, I ended up doing um, a taxonomy uh, thesis, focusing on just one species. We had like 40 individuals and uh, I had to uh, analyze and describe that individual uh, in the most objective way possible. It, it was interesting because I, I have never been in, I have never done something more, uh, more methodic. Uh, it was objective and every, everything, it had a word you could describe it with. Like it was, almost as programming, let's say. Mm. And this all took me, uh, this all took me because, uh, to where I am now because after uh, my bachelor in, my, in biology, I, I wanted to, to study abroad. I wanted to study marine biology. So uh, a friend of mine uh, told me, hey, uh, 
check these masters in in portugal it's two years and it's international it's in english and uh it looks great and i was like yeah sure let's go i got accepted and those were two of my best years of my life but uh because of all the people i've met there and also because of of the opportunities i i got for my for my master thesis uh for instance uh i got presented a very ambitious project because of all the background in taxonomy i had which is quite rare um no one likes to to spend time with taxonomy they uh, usually people <laughs> just take a bit of as um, a little bit of uh, the organism and run a dna test and then you can uh, find out uh what was the species or whatever you know mm-hmm. and um they um they had a really interesting project and uh if you if you if we have time i will i will explain a little bit about it and what's important relating the environment uh, humans and animals and the overall health about it yes absolutely absolutely i'd love to hear about it cool <laughs> all right so um uh, this study was done in in portugal uh, in continental Portugal, uh, those who don't know Portugal uh, is is in the uh, Iberian Peninsula. It's it's a vertical country that has uh, that's uh, with the shape of of an L, and uh, the L um, has has sea has the atlantic ocean surrounding it i mean um at the inside of the l you have um spain so there you don't have uh, sea you have the mountains but uh the surroundings you have sea why is that important well because a very famous um psychologist uh researcher that uh, studies and specializes on on seaweeds um sampled the intertidal of portugal uh in the 1950s and 1960s uh, giving a very highly detailed uh list of what's there and in what amount so in the research group i ended up with um in uh 2003 they they did uh they sampled again the same sites that that phycologist sampled so they updated what what was there and uh portugal is very interesting because in the north with all these upwelling that uh that there is in this zone in the north you have uh very cold waters i mean up to i mean 12 um the minimums are like 12 degrees or so and in the south uh you have warmer waters because it's more sheltered and the waters can reach uh, i think over 20 degrees and uh also like 
as I learned in, in France, uh, each uh, species or each kind of species of seaweed like uh, colder or warmer waters. So in the north of Portugal, we had these large species. And uh, in, the, um, in the south of Portugal, you had all these little red uh, species that form like almost a mat. You had to like uh, watch closely to distinguish one from another, but in the north, um, you, you can just be amazed on how large individuals are and how uh, notorious they are. So uh, they suggested me to um, to sample not not twenty three, not eighteen sites along the whole coast, but just three sites in the north of Portugal and three sites in the south to see what has changed uh, in the last 20 years because uh, many heat waves have um, have hit the, um, the coast, like uh, global warming is a thing. Climate change is also a thing. So climate change uh, can affect uh, with heat waves that are periods of, uh, of uh, a normal heat uh during uh like a minimum um period of time like five days let's say and uh, comparing it with the historical temperature records and then uh also in the last years many large storms impacted the coast so they wanted to see the state of uh, the coast because the seaweeds are also great um great indicators of um of um the situation the quality of the waters because if a species is present or absence it can tell a lot especially if you have a record of the species that were present in those sites so um i uh we sampled all these sites and um in October 2020, and I spent almost a year in the lab uh, closed, identifying all the individuals. It's beautiful, but uh, it also takes a lot of time and uh, dedication because um, it's not like uh, studying birds that you know that all the birds have um, or the same shapes and the same structures to look for. But here you have like a completely different kind of organism. Like you have to grab a completely different book when you, um, when you look at one species or another. So that was interesting and challenging, but uh, just uh, some, some small, uh, implications on what we found. Um, we we didn't get to see like half of the cold water species that were in the north of Portugal, for example, and that's that's something very impacting because uh, that was like the um, the southernmost limit of this species presence. So if they were not not longer no longer in Portugal, that meant that uh, this zone um, 
got warmer and uh, the conditions were not suitable anymore for their survival. So that meant that um, climate change already impacted this zone. So for example, one, one species was, um, was modeled, was predicted to, uh, to be gone from, from this zone in, in 2050. But now in 2020, we already saw that it is no longer there. So the, um, the predictions on how the, how the climate change um, may affect us, like uh, some say, oh yeah, that's very far away. It won't affect me. Uh, I don't care about my children or I'm not going to have any children. Well. Um, that's that's something we can already see and it was supposed to be gone uh, in 30 years so that was impacting yeah absolutely you're seeing these impacts even faster than than we had predicted and you know that uh <laughs> to me 30 years seems like a short amount of time really <laughs> you know when you're talking about policy and you know and time it takes to get get these good yeah. interventions into place so that is scary that you know these effects are already happening and um and then you talked earlier about you know the effects of when you see these entire species that are gone when we look at all the things that they do for other species you know including humans hmm. yeah totally and uh what we saw is that okay so these these local species that were found um, I mean, these species that were found locally disappeared. I mean, not all of them, of course, but uh, some of the, um, um, I mean, not the, not only the important ones, some of them are still there, but many are replaced with uh, non-native non species. And these non-native species, uh, some of them can, can go, like unnoticed but some others are have such an extreme uh invasive uh, behavior here that uh, can overtake all the space and uh it can grow on top of other species and can compete with them with light and nutrients uh limiting the growth of these other species that are important for all uh, I mentioned before. And, uh, and it's curious uh, also because it's interesting because um, these invasive species are invasive here, but where they originally come from, they are not invasive. So that's, that's something uh, very interesting to look into. And um, another discovery that we saw uh, is that when sampling because we had to sample again in in June uh, in 2021 because we wanted to get all the seasonality variation because some some species are um, grow um, I mean live for one year you know they complete their cycle in one year so maybe uh, the end of of summer in autumn in October you couldn't see the um, the species, but then in early June, you could, or vice versa. So we had to 
uh, if we wanted to compare these uh, historical data sets to say, okay, so um, this is what's gone, this is what's uh, new, we had to to have the um, data set as complete as possible. So we went back again and in the south, uh, we discovered, well, um, we couldn't avoid it. Um, an extremely invasive species that was covering everything. And uh, that, that species is particularly problematic because it was uh, forming aggregations on the beach and in the water, like the waves breaking, the water was full of seaweeds. So when, when, um, when a tourist, for example, not only the seaweeds, when a tourist goes to Portugal, to the beaches of the south of Portugal in Algarve, they dream about, they have this mental image of, uh, of the sand, uh, the sea and the sun. But mm -hmm. when they get there, what they see is the sand, a wall of seaweed, of decaying seaweed that doesn't smell the same way as uh, fresh seaweed. And uh, then the sea that can have these uh, also accumulations of seaweed. So the tourists uh, are generally not happy with this. They consider seaweeds to be um, rubbish, you know, something dirty on the beach. And uh, that's, that's an impact not directly on the health, but more on the economic uh, point of view, especially for, for the Portuguese economy. Yeah, absolutely. Because the tourists are not enjoying their, their sun and the beach and the sea. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I mean, that's a part of, of one health too. We're looking at the economic impact of you know, these changes in, in climate and the environment. And um, I remember when I was a kid, you know, when you'd have certain seasons where, um, you know, it's I'm trying to think in meters, like five meters of, you know, this band <laughs> in front of the ocean of seaweed. And yeah, and yeah, it kind of uh, changes the experience <laughs> for sure. Indeed. Yeah, totally. And uh, for someone that doesn't know what, what these things are, it can be um, not nice, you know, it destroys, it ruins the tourist experience. <laughs> or they go to another beach that doesn't have these seaweeds. But the problem is that these seaweeds uh, accumulate, these species in particular that's so problematic, accumulate with tons. And uh, they get to uh, pretty much all the beaches they can get uh, through with the currents. And uh, I haven't published my research yet because I still have to um, go through the um, identification of the individuals from June of 2021. But uh, like two days ago, I, I received uh, the good news of, of uh, the grant I asked for, for the funds to finish this project. Um, this got, I got accepted. So um, I'm going. I'm going to get back at it, and uh, this time with a team of uh, expert phycologists at my back that will 
uh, help me with the, um, the taxonomic doubts I might have along the way. And uh, hopefully we can get to publish this study so more people can get to see it because you know, as it is in the research world, you either publish or perish. Yeah, absolutely. And congratulations, by the way, on that. That's, that's exciting. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah. And great that there will be that, that record, you know, you're taking records from 50, 60, uh, in my timeline, right. From the fifties and sixties, you know, in yeah. the early two thousands to compare and track what's going on. And so that's really important that, you know, that we have access to these types of records in the future as we can continue to track and, you know, hope Definitely. to see positive changes. <laughs> we hope. But, Definitely. Uh, in um, the IPCC, like the, uh, I don't remember exactly the name of the, of the, um, uh, of the, of the thing, but they compile all these uh, studies of these researches that, uh, that show how, how these compositions of animals and these behaviors of species change along the years and show that uh, everything is connected, like the temperature of the air, the temperature of the sea, uh, it all has an, an impact on the behavior and um, on, on the animals, on the um, um, reproduction success of others. And uh, as, as many say, in, in world health, you have the zoonotic diseases that uh, hop on from animals to humans. And all this is, uh, is uh, a compilation of studies like this that um, support the evidence of climate change. And that's, I'm so grateful to be part of uh, a research like this. Absolutely. Absolutely. And thank you for doing this type of work and, and, and getting to continue it, getting the opportunity to continue. So that's wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. At this point, we'd like to see if you have any advice for students, people earlier in their careers, um, or people wanting to get into these types of studies and explore more about climate change and one health. Huh. Uh, nice. Very interesting. Um, so, um, my advice now that you mention it like this, I, I would say, um, talk to people, talk to researchers, talk to, um, to everyone you can and ask them what, what they do, um, because this will give you a great, uh, insight on how things are and how all these um, groups are working because um, it's um, it's important that you are in a in a nice group of uh, work you know uh, because you may not uh, you don't enter in this field to be rich you forget about being rich <laughs> you will you will pretty much pay to do it so um, get your connections. Uh, the connections uh, will somehow provide you with opportunities, you know, and uh, 
some opportunities are so so interesting that you can just I can't say no. I like that. I like that. Yes, and absolutely. Yeah. I uh, I can second that in my experience that um, you know some pretty interesting and surprising opportunities have come out of out of networks and developing those and and uh and you and I spoke you know before that it's one of those things when you're doing something that you know that you would almost do for free <laughs> just because you're yeah. so passionate about it that's um that's a really great thing hmm. yeah uh, definitely and uh I would also uh advise uh, tell people that's that's okay not to plan everything because I come from a lot of improvising through my bachelor's and master's, but I must say that a minimum of planning can take you very far. Uh, uh, yeah, that's an interesting perspective too, that, you know, <laughs> sometimes things come along and um, I think yeah. with a lot of our guests that we've had, you know, on One Health Wednesday is that mirror that same sentiment, you know, that it's kind of a winding road to get to where they are and they kind of explored along the way. So yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, at this point, we'd like to ask, um, give you the opportunity to thank anyone that you'd like to that's helped you along that journey so far. Thank you. Well, I want to thank you for giving me this visibility. Uh, it's been very nice to talk and uh, and explain and put out my experience. And um, I would also like to start to thank by thanking my supervisors that uh, gave me and trusted me with all these uh, opportunities. They know who they are, so I'm not going to mention them. <laughs> um, <laughs> Then uh, I would like to thank all the people that uh, uh, was there uh, that I've met along the way. Uh, for example, uh, during my bachelor's, during my master's, um, also my my friends and family, and uh, especially my my partner. Uh, they they helped me a lot. Like I'm I'm a social animal. <laughs> uh, for me, being open and social gave me, uh, got me to enjoy, well, to be here. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so that 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 will be it. And I want to thank also to the listener that go through all the podcast. <laughs> yeah, uh, thank um, you. And we we have the you. we wish our listeners thank you as well. <laughs> <laughs> we appreciate them they are our backbone of, yeah. of one health wednesdays um yeah. yeah and thank you thank you cool. for joining us and sharing your experience thank you ginger and, yeah and we wish you, you good luck on your thank uh, you uh i will if you follow me on linkedin i will keep it updated up, updated and uh, i hope to stay in contact with you to keep in touch yeah absolutely Absolutely. And we'll put your, uh, your contact information um, along with the, the podcast episode post so that people can reach out and get in touch to learn more. Awesome. Thank you. Well, have a nice day. Thank you. Thank you. You too. Nice. And we wish you luck on your journey.
To support the mission of One Health Wednesdays, please subscribe to the podcast on Apple or Spotify and remember to leave a rating and review. You can find us on all social media channels and at onehealthwednesdays.com.